Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. As John mentioned, reading from John. That's pretty cool. That uh, we are working through this series, working through a, a very tricky uh, part of the book of John, the narrative about how Jesus is farewelling his disciples, pretty much, uh, which is an amazing passage. We're going to dig into it shortly, but how about I pray that God will help us to understand his word first? Let's pray together. Dear Father God, we thank you for bringing us here together this morning. We thank you that we can sit under your word, but also that you are with us, that you promise to meet with us as we gather together that your spirit is with us, uh, helping us to understand your word, to understand you and to understand ourselves. And that would be our prayer this morning, Lord. Help us to grow in our love and knowledge of you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a, uh, an experimental show on TV, a TV show that's running a social experiment about how we find love and the journey of what love really looks like, what it really means. Uh, it's more like a documentary than a... Than a social experiment. It's called Married at First Sight. Uh, it's got experts, so it's got to be, you know, something serious, right? But it's about this discovering what is love, what does it look like, can we do this journey of love, and how do we put that all together? Now, so my friend tells me, the, the way it works out is that uh, people go on the show, you know, they're looking for romance, they're looking for love, uh, and they put on the big selves. They want to make a big first impression because it's easy to love the lovely, so they want to be lovable. So they have the big appearance with all the plastic and makeup and hair and everything. Uh, they do the big personality. They laugh at each other's jokes. Uh, they try to have the smile on all the time because they want to make that big first impression because they want to be accepted, accepted right from the get-go because they want to be uh, the lovely that's easy to love because they're so yearning for that love. But where the wheels start to fall off, it's not just here's the wedding, but here's the journey for the next six weeks or so. And that mask they might have put on for that first impression slowly comes down and then we start to see the real people. And it's entertaining because the people you thought, oh wow, they're pretty special. Maybe you just go, wow, they're really special. When their mask drops and you see, actually see their personality, you see what they're like and you see the drama unfolds and it's super entertaining. So my friend tells me. But as we look at that show, I actually think, man, we're like that. We look at them and have a laugh, but go, actually, there's a bit of that inside all of us. We like to be accepted. We like to be loved. We like to be included. We don't want to be rejected. So we're all on the hunt for love in community, whether it's uh, with a partner, whether it's with friends, or with family, whether it's with community in church. We all want to be accepted. We all want to be loved. We all want to be you know, I can be myself. But when we get here, we go by this thing, well, it's easy to love the lovely. They might not like me if they see the real me. So I've got to put on this mask. I've got to put on the best me. I like it when people like me, when people accept me, when people love me. That's what we like. But if you saw the real me, there's a fear in that, isn't it? If I drop my guard too much, if I make myself too vulnerable, well, then... What happens if you don't like me then? If I'm unlovable? 
then there's rejection, there's hurt, there's loneliness. Now, it's not wrong to crave community and to be loved, to be accepted. It's actually, I think it's very biblical that, that we are actually made for community. There's actually that peace inside of us that craves that companionship with other people. But it's companionship that ha says, I just want to be myself. I can't keep up this act all the time. I've got to actually be allowed to drop my guard and to be safe. I can be vulnerable without fearing rejection. But can we do that? Because it's easy to love the lovely, and I'm not sure if we're all that lovely. This attention, what sort of love would accept us if we dropped our guard? What would, what would love look like if, if they saw us warts and all? Is there even that love even around? What would it look like? Is that love even possible to find? And where would we find that kind of love? See, this morning we're going to dig a bit deeper into that sort of love. And as uh, was, was explained earlier, we come into the book of John into a setting where Jesus has poured out his love to the disciples. It's the last supper, you might say. Uh, so it's the last meal Jesus is having with his disciples until uh, that night he's going to be arrested. First thing in the morning he's going to be put on trial. This time tomorrow, so this is the Thursday night, this time on the Friday night he's going to be dead and buried in his body in a tomb. So things are sort of coming together. This is a very dramatic scene, one of the most dramatic scenes in the whole of Scripture. Oh, there's lots of dramatic scenes. I might be overselling it a bit, but it's very dramatic when you see what's going on here. The love that Jesus shows is unlike any love you're going to see anywhere else. So we're going to dig a bit deeper. What does this love look like? Jesus loved knowing that he would be betrayed. Because in this journey, we had this part of the Bible reading. We're going to go a little bit further. But we see what this love looks like. He comes out and says, after the foot washing, after him telling they should serve each other, he's saying, I'm not referring to all of you because he just alluded to somebody. There's somebody in the 12 who's going to, he's not right. And he says, I'm not referring to all of you. I know I have chosen you. But this is to fulfill the passage of Scripture. And he Quotes uh, a verse out of Psalm 94, He who shared my bread has turned against me. Now anybody who knows that psalm, which the disciples are good Jewish boys, so there's a good chance they did know what he was talking about. He's talking about a psalm of King David. King David had a pretty mixed up family. He uh, had this feud with a number of his sons, but in this psalm it's referring to uh, when he had a feud with his son Absalom. Absalom was his, was his third son. He was next in line to the throne. But instead of loving his dad, waiting for his dad to just naturally um, step off the throne, he was out to kill King David. He was out to kill his dad so he could take the throne for himself. He even gathered an army to kill his dad. Now, this is David pouring out his heart. Do you know how much this betrays me, he says. You know, he's out to get me. He was the one that was close to me. He even sat at my table and ate my bread. He even took hospitality from me. He was my son. He was my friend. He was in the inner circle. But yet he's out to kill me. That's betrayal. Jesus saying, you know what? Something's happening again. I've been with you disciples. I've been having you very close. And this is a relationship between a teacher and disciples in that first century that we often think, what does it mean to be a disciple? Yeah, it's walk in the, the teacher's footsteps uh, is the way often it's described. Do life together with your teacher so you, you can become more like your teacher. But what about for the teacher? You've actually got to 
share your life with your disciples if they're going to become more like you and learn from you. And we've seen that through the book of John. The disciples are with Jesus when he's at a wedding. He's turning water into wine. Uh, when he's feeding 5,000 and he's teaching and doing these amazing miracles, they were there. When he hears that his friend Lazarus is dead and Jesus cries, his disciples are there. He's doing life together. He's dropped his guard. He's become vulnerable with his disciples. He's pulled them in close. And they're even at his table at this literal time. They're at the table eating bread. He says, I've brought you into my world. I've dropped my guard. I've made myself vulnerable to you. But now somebody's going to betray me. It's real betrayal. It's real rejection. But in this, Jesus outlines, he's not surprised. He says, I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you'll believe I am who I am. He says, I'm God. Nothing's going to catch me off guard. I know how this is going to play out. But he knows somebody's done a deal with the devil in this. And this is how we know. He gives us more of a hint. Verse 20. Very, very, uh, very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. But this is it. Whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. See, Jesus has come. All of his teaching is about how he's been sent by the Father, how he is the Son of God, and how the Father has sent him, and the Father and him are one. They're united. They're together. And believe in him. Trust in Jesus, and you'll have fellowship with the Father. But he says, if you don't accept me, you're actually not just rejecting me, you're rejecting the Father. That's been his message all the way along. He says, actually, there's someone here who hasn't done that. Now, there's this thing with Judas. It hasn't been named yet here in this passage, but we know there's been hinting about this, this one person and John's been giving us a bit of commentary, how Satan's at work behind the scenes. So there's this question about... Judas and is it Satan just using Judas as a puppet or is Judas taking responsibility for himself? I've actually been given a few hints about that on the journey as well. So just to look back about what, what's going on for this one who's going to betray and how he doesn't believe. Uh, if we go back last week, if you were here, was the foot washing and Peter asked some questions like, what, you're going to wash my feet? Oh, don't wash my feet, wash all of me. And Jesus comes back with that answer. Uh, Those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean. Though not every one of you, alluding to Judas, for he knew who was going to betray him. That was why he said not everyone was clean. Now what does it mean that Jesus is washing their feet but yet says, but you've already had a bath. I only need to wash your feet. And he's talking about point, how that points to the cross. The foot washing points to the cross. So what does it mean that they're already clean? If you're in the growth groups, this is one of the just curly ones we were looking at last week. If you jump forward a couple of chapters, Jesus is describing this to his disciples and he says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. It's through the word that we are clean. We need the cross 100%, but we also need the word. We need to understand who Jesus is to understand our relationship with him and the Father. The word makes us clean as well. But what has Judas done? He hasn't believed Jesus teaching hasn't believed what he's spoken he hasn't accepted the word so Judas is the one who's not clean now is that Satan or is that Judas well Piers Judas has made the decision I'm not in I don't believe he, you are who you claim you are Jesus so Judas is the one that's already on the way out there's still this question about what's Satan doing in the background we're going to hit that in a couple of weeks because there's a bit more about Satan in that one uh, but this is what's going on in Judas uh, for Judas that Jesus called him out. 
that you haven't accepted me. And if you haven't accepted me, you're not accepting the Father. Now, is this a surprise or a shock? Well, it's not a surprise or a shock to Jesus. But Jesus is super troubled about this. It's a real betrayal. Because after he says this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, makes it really plain, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Now Jesus doesn't flippantly, guess what I know, I know one of you is going to do it, but he says, I'm troubled in this. I'm really troubled that Jesus uh, has let his guard down, invited somebody in, and he's going to be betrayed and rejected. Now we often think if somebody sees it coming, that it's actually easier. It's easier to love, but it's the exact opposite. Jesus is putting himself out there to be loved. And it is a surprise to everybody else because we get this long narrative, this big discussion, the disciples are whispering to each other, who is it, who is it? I knew it was Jesus, I knew it was him. They're not saying that at all, are they? They're going to ask Jesus, give us a sign, give us a hint who it might be. So Jesus passes the bread. Watch who I'm passing the bread to. He passes the bread and says to Judas, look, do whatever you've got to do, but do it now, do it quickly. And even then, some of the disciples are going, well, they're not going, yeah, Judas, I knew it was you as he was walking out into the dark. Yeah, Judas, you know, you're a rotten scumbag. You're a traitor. You know, you shouldn't have been here right from the start. They're not saying that at all. The disciples are just a surprise because Judas is one of the boys. He's been with them on the journey. He's one of them. The betrayal is deep. It's hard. Now we can imagine that because Jesus knew what was going on, it actually makes it easier for him to go out of here, Judas, on your bike. Or as soon as Jesus knew that Judas wasn't on board, to cut him off. I mean, that's what we would do, wouldn't we? If we know there's a betrayer amongst us, why would I serve you? Why would I love you? Why would I wash your feet? Get out now. But Jesus doesn't. In fact, Jesus, knowing that he's going to be betrayed by Judas, does the exact opposite. Draws him nearer, includes him into the community, be more vulnerable with him. Share this meal with me, Judas. Let me wash your feet, Judas. Jesus' love is just crazy. What, what kind of love is this? That Jesus would choose not to push him out, but to, to draw him in and to be vulnerable with him, to love him. It's not out of ignorance that Jesus does this, but he chooses, he chooses to love Judas, knowing that Judas is going to betray him. Judas is going to be an accessory to his murder the next day. But he chooses to love him. That's, that's a love we don't see. Now after this, event we stop the reading there but then goes on jesus goes on to explain how it's going to play out how he's going to not be with the disciples any longer how he's going to be in his glory uh, but he'll be gone he won't be with them any longer and he uh, says you know this is what i explained to the jews and he was talking about he's given us lots of hints along the way he's going to die he's going to be killed and with this news you'd think the disciples are going to come to the party to support him in that even, you might say, to uh, encourage him. You know, if somebody said to you, hey, look, I'm going to die soon. I've just been to the doctor and they said it's terminal. They said it's only a matter of time. What would you do as a friend? I'm going to be with you. You're not alone. I'm going to support you. I'm going to support you to the end. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. 
We'd like to think we'd say that as a friend. Now, for Jesus, after sharing that, Jesus knows he's going to be abandoned by his disciples. After explaining it, Simon Peter, one of his close friends, says, Lord, where are you going? He doesn't quite get the whole picture. Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow. It's like, you know, I am talking about the whole death thing, uh, but you'll follow later. But Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus, if this is bad as I think it is, I'm going to take a bullet for you. Now, if we're talking about love, man, wouldn't you love somebody around you to say that to you? I would die for you that you would live. I would take a bullet for you. I'll take the hit. It's all right. I'm there with you. Now, you've got to wonder what Jesus was thinking at that point because it's kind of tempting, isn't it? Jesus is in the garden soon after this and he's praying. He knows what's going to happen. He's going to be arrested and beaten and killed on a cross. That he's praying and it's described Jesus praying this night, just hours after this, that Jesus is praying and he's uh, dripping sweats of uh, sweat like blood intensely praying uh, Lord you know, God Father God if there's any other way do you reckon he might have looked over his shoulder at Peter it's gone he offered do you reckon no surely not he's asleep over there but do you reckon he said he'd take a bullet for me but then reality check and Jesus replies will you really lay your life down for me very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me. So first thing in the morning, tomorrow, you will disown me not once, not twice, but three times. You'll say you don't even know me. It's like Jesus knows this is going to happen. Now, if I know somebody's going to abandon me, not be there when I really need them, what? You get angry with them. You get frustrated with them. Why? I know I can't count on you because you just talk the talk, but you're never there for me. You get angry with them, but not Jesus. He's not angry at Peter. He actually still draws him close. I'm going to continue to love you, even though I know you're going to abandon me. Now, again, we might say, well, isn't it easier for Jesus because he knows how it's going to play out. He knows Peter's going to abandon him, so he's going to have low expectations so he can love him. But no, Think about it, it's actually the opposite. I know he's going to abandon me. I know when I'm at my loneliness, loneliest, that Peter is not even going to be by his side. He's going to deny even knowing him. But even though he knows he's going to be abandoned by Peter, he still loves. He still loves. That's, that's amazing love. Amazing love that Jesus would do that even knowing that that's how it's going to play out. This is what gospel love looks like. It's so different to what we see in the world. See, when we love, we want to say, I will love you, I will give myself to you when I know you care for me, when I know you're going to not cut me down, when I can trust you. I can love you when I know I'm in a safe place with you and then I'll drop my guard then I'll become vulnerable. There's a whole lot of ifs and buts and conditions on our love. But for Jesus, he says, I'm going to love you knowing you're going to let me down, knowing you're going to disappoint me, betray me, abandon me. That's amazing love. So we need to pull apart a little bit deeper what this love, how this love changes us. We're going to have a look at what this love is and what this love does. What this love is is our worst moments are Jesus' greatest moment. 
Now, if we go back to when Jesus was uh, describing his death back in verse 31, uh, after Judas had gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in him and will glorify him at once. You get the idea? There's lots of glorying going on in the context of Jesus' death. How do we explain this best? Let me ask you, what is your best moments and worst moments? Because I think a lot of us, we might think of our best moments are when we're feeling loved, when we're feeling accepted, when we can feel like we're in a safe place, then I could drop my guard, drop the mask and be vulnerable, knowing that I won't be rejected. That's, that's joy, isn't it? To really experience that love, to know that I'm accepted, to not have any fear of rejection. What's our worst moments then? Maybe it is when we make ourselves vulnerable and we get burnt. When we uh, draw near, we're seeking love, uh, to be loved, to be accepted, but yet we're rejected, maybe humiliated, uh, scarred, and we're alone. Sure, that's, that's our darkest moments, isn't it? But what Jesus is saying here, in your darkest moments, I will be there for you. I will be there for you. See, in our worst moments, we might feel abandoned, alone and unloved, but Jesus says, I'm going to go to that place with you, into that darkness. And he does that through the cross, where Jesus is cut off. He's abandoned by his friend, betrayed by his friends. He's left all alone. Do we appreciate when Jesus is on the cross, not only is he cursed and spat on, he's abandoned by his good mates, but even at death... He gets cut off from his father God. Even in that relationship, he, he goes into death. Like, that's aloneness. But Jesus says, I'm going to be there with you. You might feel like you're the only one there, but I'm there with you to the loneliest place, to ultimate rejection. I will walk in your shoes, but I'll go there with you so you won't be alone anymore. That's what Jesus does through the cross. Our worst moments, he comes into that, experiences that. He walks in our shoes. And the next ch chapters, Jesus fills that out, what that looks like. He talks to his disciples, going, I'll never leave you, I'll never abandon you. In fact, we've got this bond that, that through, through the cross, he will uh, have this fellowship or um, companionship with them that will never be broken through what he's doing on the cross because he's going there for us now when we see jesus on the cross we kind of think well, it's easy for us to think well this is jesus lowest moment this is not glory this is shame and humility but in verses like this he's going no i'm going to my glory in fact when i'm on the cross it's not just my glory it's the father's glory how can that be to the cross such an embarrassing thing lonely thing rejection but yet it's his ultimate glory so it's where Jesus has your attention to show his love for you. It's where the world's looking at him. He says, you want to know how much I love you? Not just how big. How big is my love that I would give, give my life for you? But what kind of love it is that I would die for you, that I would go and be rejected and lonely. I will meet you where you are in your worst moments. Why is that glory? Because I get to show you. 
You get to see the real God. You get to see the real Son of God dying for you, knowing you, drawing near to you. He entered our world physically, John says. He comes into our world as a baby and grows up to be a man. He's doing all this stuff. But he also comes into our world uh, personally, that he comes into my world and he puts this love on display where I can see it and I can experience it and I can feel it. That his love for me, his sacrifice for me, is so great. That's what gospel love is. That I don't have to be the lovely. It's okay for me to, to actually not be okay. But he says, that's all right, I'm with you. I've done it too. And I'm, I'm doing that to show my love for you. So he's, he is with me. But that's what gospel love is. Also, we need to look at what gospel love does and that we can also love like Jesus. So Jesus comes to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, the frustrating thing with this verse is, is we often, yeah, it's a command, I command you, do it. So do it, we must love each other or else. But actually, it just doesn't work like that, does it? We can't just be nice. A helpful way of understanding this is to use this uh, thing like the, the tanks. I've used this before, but having a love tank. How full am I with uh, love? And if my tank is full, I'm feeling loved, I'm feeling accepted, I'm feeling safe. I can be vulnerable without being rejected. I can, my love tank's full. If my love tank's empty, I am feeling rejected. I am feeling like nobody cares and I am feeling alone. And the way our love tank works, if we're, we're going to pour love into other people's lives, it is like a tank or a cup. Think of it as a cup and you pour your love into other people's cups. I love you, care for you, I give myself to you. I want to encourage you, build you up. And the way we hope it might work is I'm draining myself out of love because I'm showing I care for you. I'm hoping that might come back to me that you might show you love me too. So you're going, hey, I care for you too. I'm serving you too. So my, my cup gets filled as much as I'm tipping it out. But the problem is, we don't, because of our sinfulness, because of our selfishness, because of we are who we are, we're always going to give more than we get back. We're always going to be hurt because people hurt us. People don't love us back and we, we run dry. Now, We've all experienced that in some form or another, whether it's in a personal relationship, with a friendship, whether it's family, whether it's church community. We will hurt each other. I would like to say, we're a church that loves you. We've got the God of love. We're going to pour that into your hearts. You know, you're going to be welcomed, accepted, included, and, and it's one big happy family. I'd love to say that. But I know for many of you, church is a place where you've been hurt, whether it's here or somewhere else. It's a place where I'm going to hurt you. You're going to be disappointed in our leadership. You're going to be disappointed in the people around you. I kind of figured Jesus had 12 disciples and he handpicked them. We take anyone off the street. And he had two failures. How many, failures, like, how many Judases and Peters are in here? That's kind of what I'm saying. We don't realise it. But what I am saying is we're all a bit of Judas and Peter. We will disappoint each other. We will let each other down. So I kind of want to say sorry at this point that we aren't the perfect church and at some point you will be disappointed, even hurt, and I hope we can recover from that. I'm sorry that we're a church that hurts people. 
But where we get a bit mixed up is we look to others to fill our tank. We look to others to experience that love. Where what Jesus is saying is actually something quite different. Have a look at this closely. When he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. What he's saying, you've got to experience my love first. That is, I'm going to pour my love into your tank. You need that first. You need to experience the unconditional, faithful, safe love of Jesus that doesn't reject you, that actually shows that he'll go to the cross for you to have that poured into our cup. When we experience that unconditional love, that love that accepts me as I am, that's when my love tank is full and I can pour out that love so I can love people with the love of Jesus. They might reject me, but that's okay, because I've got love, I've got Jesus pouring into my life. I need to walk close with Jesus. I need to watch the cross closely. I need to draw near to him to keep being filled, to keep being reminded of his love for me. Because if I take my eyes off that and look to other people, I'm going to be disappointed. Now, if we go along and say to each other, I will love you if, if you respect me, if you uh, show love back to me, that's not gospel love, is it? That's, you may as well say, it's easy to love the lovely. I'll love you because you're loving me back. That's a lovely arrangement. But no, gospel love is you will be hurt. You will be betrayed. You will be abandoned. Are you going to love in those times? Because that's what Jesus has done for us. We've, loved, we've abandoned Jesus. We've disowned Jesus. We've rebelled against Jesus. We ignore Jesus. But he continues to pull us back. We're, we're Judases, we're Peters, but he still says, I'm going to include you. I'm going to invite you into this community with me. He does that for us. And when that's the love, the gospel love that we establish our identity, we establish our joy and who we are, it's not based on feelings, but, but we come back to the cross continually, then we go, hey, you know what? I can pour out myself to that person who's hard work. I can pour out myself to that person even though I'm feeling empty. Because... I've got, I'm based on Jesus' love. And that's the love uh, that is so different to what the world. He's saying, when the world sees this, they will know that you're my disciples. Because this is so different to what everybody's expecting. A love that gives itself even though you will be hurt on the way. That's amazing love. Now, I want us to be a church that pours out Jesus' love like that. I would like to think that we're working towards it. It's always a battle. It's always a battle for me to love like that. But let's encourage. How awesome would that be to be a part of a church that loves people? Not conditional love, but loves you where you're at. Loves you if your tank's empty and you had a bad day and you're feeling alone, rejected. But we can meet people where they're at with the love of Christ. That's what Jesus is talking about. Now in a few moments, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And that's where uh, Jesus... Uh, it's kind of based on this meal, actually, where Jesus uh, is meeting with his disciples and uh, showing them this is what's going to happen through the cross. And he's commanded the church in the years to come that as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we take the bread and the juice, we remember what Jesus was talking about, that Jesus is going to give his body to be broken, that he is going to shed his blood for us. So we remember the cross through doing the Lord's Supper. But we also look forward to Jesus' return, that he's coming back for us, that he hasn't abandoned us, he hasn't forgotten us. So we're to do this Lord's Supper from now until he returns.
These guys are going to bring it out uh, now because we didn't have it sitting out the whole time. But I'm going to pray now before we do and before I explain a little bit more. So I invite you, how about we pray in response to his amazing love. I invite you to please, please pray with me. Dear Father God, we thank you. We thank you for reaching out to us. That you know us and you know our hearts and you know we're not perfect. But even though we don't get it right, you don't reject us. You don't push us away. But you continue to pour out your love on us. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you not only for his words here and his actions to to his disciples, the way he continued to bring them in, but, but also for us that aren't just empty words, but through the cross, through him being rejected, abandoned and left alone, that he knows what we experience and he's there with us when we experience it too. Well, thank you that we don't have to stay there, but we can find joy and find life through Jesus, that we are loved, that we are accepted that we don't have to have these masks and the walls up to, to protect us, but we can be vulnerable with you, knowing that we're safe. We're safe with you. Well, thank you for that assurance. And I pray that even today, it's a great reminder that we can cling to you, cling to the cross, and we're okay. Lord, please help us, if we haven't experienced that, to open our eyes, that we go, yeah, maybe this is what I've been after. That my life is empty, going from relationship to relationship, to pursuing, uh, to be accepted. That I'm seeking out my identity, but to know my identity is in you. I'm accepted in you, and I'm loved by you. So Lord, please draw us closer to you, we pray in Jesus' name.